This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Wednesday, February the 1st, 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Kevin Shaw will offer up some commentary on the media's coverage of the economy. I have some thoughts on that one, too. In fact, I kind of forced Kevin to talk about this. (laughs) The impact of Canada's plastic ban on people with disabilities. Brock Richardson will be here with a sports chat. You'll also hear from Ramya, Alex, and Nazreen. But first, it's the regional news update. Beginning in British Columbia, BC's chief coroner has released drug overdose data for 2022. 2,272 people died of drug toxicity last year. Lisa Lapointe says that many people are at risk of overdose. And those at direct risk of dying run the gamut from people who use substances occasionally, whether opioids or stimulants, to those with severe substance use disorder. All of these thousands of people Our neighbours, our colleagues, our loved ones and communities across the province are at risk of death and serious injury. Lapointe's made a number of recommendations, including the expansion of access to safe prescription alternatives, overdose prevention sites, drug checking services and treatment options. Over to the prairies. More subsidized childcare spaces will be available in Alberta. It's part of the federal provincial agreement on offering $10 a day daycare. An additional 1,600 spaces will be made available almost immediately with an additional 2,000 once they are approved. Alberta Minister of Children's Services, Mickey Amory, says including private operators in the program was essential. Private operators who make up more than 60% of our mixed market here in this province, play a valuable role in the sector. And we want a system that welcomes and embraces their full participation. Alberta is receiving $3.8 billion in federal funding over five years with the goal of reducing daycare fees to $10 a day by 2026. Over to Ontario. Starting today, the Ontario Disability Support Program is increasing its monthly earning exemption from $200 to $1,000. Brenda Molina-Navidad has the background. The provincial government made the promise in their fall economic budget last year, but it won't change much for 95% of recipients. Jennifer Robson is an associate professor of political management at Carleton University. Robson says the exemption doesn't come close to getting ODSP payments up to an acceptable rate. The provincial government says it will adjust ODSP rates to inflation, but that won't come until July 2023. Brenda Molina Navidad. The Canadian press. And finally, in the Atlantic provinces, officials in Nova Scotia say a main switch and backup system failure led to an outage of the 911 system across much of the Maritimes. The emergency emergency system, I can read, I swear, the emergency system went down for about two hours yesterday, rendering it useless for people with landlines and some wireless devices. The outage has also affected New Brunswick and PEI. Provider Bell Alliant says it is investigating the root cause of the problem. That's your look at the regional news. Let's bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. Brock, at 8.12 Eastern time this morning, Tom Brady, professional football player, the greatest quarterback of all time, posted a video on his social media feeds. He has officially retired. What do you think, Brock? Uh, What do I think? When I first heard the news i was like yeah we'll see how long this lasts was literally my first reaction but then i saw the um the twitter video and i actually believe that this is going to be his retirement because he literally said you know i had my big write-up in as an athlete and you should only have one try at this so i'm going to be you know keeping this retirement announcement short and sweet I honestly believe that he is retired this time. I think that 
he he may have retired too soon, according to him. Uh, last at the end of last season, and I think in this case this year, he's looking at it and saying, I, "I'm done. I'm you know in my 40s, and uh, it's time to put it aside." And as we've said time and time again, Tom Brady has nothing to prove. He's won at every level. He's uh, MVPs, all that kind of stuff. So for him. He could retire at any point and be totally fine. And as they've been kind of casually joking and talking about this year on uh, Fox Sports, uh, as soon as he retires, he's able to go and um, begin his contract with Fox Sports, which will not leave him hungry and uh, and and starving for food on the table. He will be making his money there. And so we'll see him now uh, in the uh, broadcast world with Fox Sports. Hundreds of millions of dollars waiting for him with that Fox Sports contract. So yeah, nobody shed any tears for Tom Brady. He'll 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 be okay. He probably had the worst year of his professional and personal life in the last 365 days. He got embroiled in some of the Miami Dolphins controversy that involved uh, the eventual lawsuit filed by Coach Brian Flores. He went through a divorce, a very messy public divorce with his wife Giselle Bundchen. He although uh, had reasonable statistics this year and made the playoffs, this was probably his worst professional football season that he's had in about a decade. Tom Brady had a tough year, and when you have a tough year like that in your mid-40s, you probably go through the realization there are other priorities in your life. There are new priorities in your life. He is probably very much feeling the sting of uh, losing his family to come back and play one more year. And I imagine that he is going through a realization that says, I've only got so many days left on this planet. Football is a dangerous game. And I want to be close to my family and going to play in Los Angeles or San Francisco or Las Vegas will only take me further away from the family that I want to be around. Tom Brady is the greatest of all time. There's no question about it. He's someone who tormented me for years because he used to take personal pleasure, I felt, in beating up my team. But at the end of the day, uh, rooting against him was a futile process, although very fun at times. Tom Brady, thank you for the memories. Yeah, I I agree uh, 100%. I think, you know, as we've said many times too, father time hits everybody, and I think uh, Tom Brady recognizes that and let's be fair football is hard on you know a young 20 something let alone somebody who's in their 40s and doing this and so recovery time when you get hit by you know um proverbial cars every game multiple times your recovery time becomes less uh less quick and slower and slower over time so i think tom brady has made the right decision it's right for the game. And even though he made the playoffs, I think a lot of teams could make the playoffs in the division he's in. So I don't necessarily know how much we look into that per se. Um, but yeah, I think it's a good choice for him to retire and move on and go into the broadcasting world. Considering his TB12 diet, I doubt he's celebrating with a mimosa this morning. So a big scoop of avocado ice cream just for you today, Tom Brady. We'll uh, pour one out for you. Hey, Brock, let's jump over to the world of baseball. The Toronto Blue Jays, I don't know if I'm going to say they made waves, but they definitely uh, caught a couple pieces of attention when they signed reliever Chad Green as a free agent uh, a couple days ago. Brock, your reaction to the bla- the Jays bolstering their bullpen, albeit probably not till later in the year because the guy had Tommy John surgery mid midseason last year. Yeah, and that and that is the big um, you know asterisk we need to put beside this and his contract in the eight point five million dollars that he received is more uh, backloaded because. Uh, the Blue Jays aren't going to get a, a full season out of him this year. And who knows what you're even going to get out of him this year. You know, he, he may recover and he may recover well and be fine. And it's all well and good. But when you haven't played sports in a long time, it's tough to get yourself back up on the wheels and say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to, you know, do this. So I think this is a good thing. I think the Blue Jays need to, bolster their bullpen but i also caution and say yeah understand the value you're getting and the value you're getting is because he's coming off of tommy john surgery so just kind of put an asterisk and and highlight this one but i i do like it provided that he can he can provide something good for the toronto blue jays 
come the next year and a half of hopefully playing time when when all things uh, come down. Yeah, they made a couple gambles here in this offseason. Brandon Belt, the first baseman, coming off an injury. Kevin Kermeyer, the center fielder, coming off an injury. Chad Green coming off an injury. They, these are all moves that make sense for the Toronto Blue Jays, but in all cases, they come with some question marks. Brock, one more topic here. Mutual respect between rivals. There was a lot of trash talk publicly going on between Cincinnati Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow and Kansas City Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes going into the AFC Championship yesterday game, last championship game last week. But Brock, it looks like there's a bit of mutual respect going on. Yes, and uh, Patrick Mahomes said to him, "Many more, dog. Um, uh, Hall of Fame." Uh, Hall of Fame game, Hall of Fame career is coming. And Joe Burrow replied with, you too, bro, go win it now. And the thing is, when you lose a game in the championship situation, in the AFC championship, this stings when you lose an important game. For me, Dave, what sticks out is, hey, you know, these are two athletes who have mutual admiration for each other and are going to continue to play each other in the league for quite some time. And sometimes when you get those um, situations and those scenarios where it's like somebody gives you that admiration, that attaboy that may not feel great in the moment, it does feel good later, later in your career when you think, you know, that little mutual exchange really did help for me at the beginning of my career, you know, when I was 12, 13 years old and, starting down the path, you know, I was losing games by more points than I'd like to admit. And it was easy for me to, you know, possibly pack it in and do things. And I'm not saying that, you know, Joe Burrow's in the position, but I had a coach come up to me and kneel, kneel down to the 12 year old and say, if you stick with this game, you're going to going to do well and you're going to make the national team. At that time, I thought he was nuts. I thought you came over to me after after I lose a game, you know, as as many points as I could in a bocce game, and that's what you say. And uh, looking back on my career, I know that that was the moment that where I got that attaboy and I could continue, you know, um, my career and building on it. And I think, you know, this is the same here. You can build on it from one quarterback to another and say, yeah, I can do this because – Joe Burrow belongs in this league, and we're going to see him do many more championship games than just this one and last year as well. So good stuff all around. That's a really beautiful sentiment, Brock. I prefer it when athletes despise each other, but that's just me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Brock, have Mm -hmm. a great day, man. We always appreciate Mm -hmm. your perspective. Yeah, I know that's fair. I just wanted to end (laughs) off on a beautiful moment, I guess. Brock's looking for positivity, and I'm out here uh, swimming in the toxic sludge. Uh, Brock, thanks, buddy. Thank you. That's Brock Richardson. He is the host of the Neutral Zone at the AMI Sports Desk. Alex Smythe is at the AMI Weather Desk. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're going to start off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where there's snow and snow squalls expected today, with up to two centimeters falling. The high is minus seven and feeling like minus 19. In Charlottetown, PEI, it's mainly sunny. The high is minus 9, and the wind chill makes it feel like minus 23. As we move along to St. John, New Brunswick, it's getting a bit colder. It's still sunny. The high is minus 8, but it's going to be feeling like minus 26. Over to Quebec City, Quebec, it's sunny, becoming a mix of sun and clouds. The high is minus 11, feeling like minus 29, but there is also a smog advisory in effect due to a high volume of pollutants in the area. In Toronto, Ontario, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow. Minus 4 is the high, minus 18 with the wind chill. In Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, it's mainly sunny. Minus 8 is the high, but it's going to be feeling closer to minus 25 with that wind chill. In Brandon, Manitoba, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow. Minus 14 is the high for today, and it's feeling like minus 31. In Regina, Saskatchewan, it's cloudy with snow off and on today. The high is minus 15, and the wind chill makes it feel like minus 28. To Lethbridge, Alberta, it's mainly cloudy with wind gusts up to 70 kilometers per hour. The high is 2 degrees, but feeling like minus 11. In Red Deer, Alberta, 
It's cloudy today with snow in the morning with up to two centimeters expected to fall. The high is minus 12, feeling like minus 22. Up in Whitehorse, Yukon, it's cloudy with a chance of some light snow today. Wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is minus 13, with the wind chill making it feel like minus 24. To Kelowna, BC, there's snow off and on today. Up to four centimeters is expected to fall, and the high is one degree. And finally, in Vancouver, BC, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of rain, and the high is six degrees. And that's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up after the break, you've heard lots of media coverage about the economy over the last year. There's been a lot of quantity, but what's the quality been like? You know I have thoughts on this, and Kevin Shaw is going to ride shotgun with me and have a little bit of commentary as well. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. The economy has been one of the biggest news stories over the last 12 months. Think about things like inflation and the cost of living. You've probably heard about recent layoffs in the tech industry. There's also been overall steady economic growth. I shared the GDP numbers with you uh, this morning and yesterday. Stock market growth has also been steady over the last six months and overall strong job numbers. But no matter the news, there is a constant underlying rumble and refrain that so many reports include, and it's they end with this quote, with a possible recession looming. The last part, you know, is a bit of a pet peeve of mine. Is it really necessary to, necessary to tinge the sharing of data with speculation? But you're probably sick of hearing me talk about it. Let's engage with someone who's actually smart, who can engage in some media criticism with me. It's Kevin Shaw. Hey, good morning, Kevin. How are you? Good, Dave. Uh, great to be here again. So, Kevin, I'm starting this conversation from a point of view and from a thesis that's a lot of mass media or general interest media coverage of the economy is unnuanced at best or at worst quite poor. I'd say it's laden with a lot of buzzy terminology and speculation rather than analysis. What do you think of my assessment? I think you're right on the money. It's, uh, you know, pardon the pun, but, um, uh, you know, it's, it's quite apt. We live in this era right now where a lot of business news, particularly on on television, is is delivered a lot like sports news, where um, you know here's the winners, here are the losers, here are the you know here was the amazing play, you know this company got acquired for you know so many billions of dollars, and and then that's it. There's no deeper discussion of the financial system or the economy or um, you know, particular particular things that that might actually have an impact on the everyday person watching the news. What are some of those distinctions that outlets are failing to make between maybe the overall economy and the financial system? Well, the the two things are different. So, a lot of people will talk about the economy. The economy is doing this. The economy is great. The economy is doing that. The economy is always going to be with us. So, so for example. Um, uh, you know, we've got a cash economy, right? Um, you want to come over and paint my house. I agree to pay you some cash. Um, you decide to take that cash and, you know, go get, get your, uh, uh, you know, get your refrigerator fixed or something like that. That's the cash economy. So the economy is always going to be with us, whether we're, we're trading with cash or coins or, um, you know, pieces of wood or what have you. The financial system is what we're using in the economy right now. So it's the dollars and all of the stuff that is, um, you know, that basically dictates how money is created and, and then moved around. And I think that there needs to be a, an important distinction. So what happens in the financial system? What happens in the financial system does have an effect on the economy. Um, but what happens in the economy doesn't doesn't work the other way around in terms of affecting the financial system. We're we're basically using the tools that they've created uh, to you know to to get things done to to engage in commerce. 
Kevin, one of my favorite movies of the last decade was The Big Short that took a close look mm -hmm. at the 2008 financial crisis. How yeah. do movies like that, or how does the entertainment sphere influence people's perception of the system or economic matters? Well, one interesting thing about that movie is that um, that was all privately financed um, by by the actors involved. They They thought that this was an amazing untold story and that it had to be told and, and they couldn't get studio backing for, um, you know, to make this movie and it ended up being a, you know, a huge success. Um, you know, I'd encourage anyone if they haven't seen the big short to go and watch it, but to your question, uh, movies like the big short, I think paint a, a picture of the financial industry that we don't normally get to see. We don't normally get to see the, you know, the, the deals that are going on in the background, um, you know, in this case for the big short, you know, in the, in the mortgage bond industry. Um, and it, and it's just, it's so enlightening. Um, and it really reveals so much of, of what's happening behind the scenes. And again, not in the economy, but in the financial system. And, you know, we, we see in the movie that these guys are, you know, they're running around wall street and trying to do these deals and, and um, you know, working with with astronomical sums of money, and uh, it's it's something that that isn't normally seen in in sort of the everyday press and what you would see on on the six o'clock news. Kevin, I spend uh, more time than I should on social media, and the algorithm has figured out that I like hearing about uh, financial uh, news and that I like hearing about business ideas and I like hearing about side hustles and maybe what you'd call alternative. Uh, alternative ideas on mm -hmm. finance and business. Where has alternative news and where have those sources found themselves in some of these conversations? Well, I mean, just like anything online, you're going to, you're going to find that there are a bunch of loons out there and there are a bunch of really smart people and it, it, you, you've got to kind of sift through, <laughs> through it all, um, you know, because for every, uh, you know, for every really insightful newsletter or blog or podcast that's out there, there's, you know, someone that's trying to get you into crypto or penny stocks or, you know, some, some other kind of ridiculous uh, scheme. But I think alternative media has, um, you know, just really le leveled the playing field. Um, you know, before, if you wanted financial news, you had to subscribe to, uh, you know, the Wall Street Journal or, you know, be tuned to the financial channel. Uh, and even then you were, you were getting sort of a filtered view of what was happening in, in the world of finance. And now, I mean, it's, it's just like any other kind of media where you can just get so specific into an industry, whether it's, um, you know, whether you're into trading silver or whether you're into trading, uh, you know, crypto or, you know, whatever. I mean, crypto, cryptocurrency itself has been a huge boom. Um, in the alternative media space, mm -hmm. and and remember that that you know that movie, The Big Short, was based on the fact that the alternative news was was covering um, uh, Michael Burry's uh, predictions that the that the mortgage uh, that the mortgage market was going to collapse in the U.S. And so, I think it it certainly has some benefits to it, um, but. You know, you've got to have a <laughs> you have a you have to have a a, a BS detector built in when yeah. you're sifting through alternative news. <laughs> yeah, there's there's always a grain of salt you have to consider with uh, with sure. anything, right? Whether whether it's mass media or alternative media, there always needs to be a mm -hmm. bit of critical thinking applied. And if if I'm going to circle back to mass media, because again, the the pet peeve where this conversation starts is again always in every piece of news copy in quotes with the possibility of a looming recession. I, I, I'd argue that mass media should be more mindful or careful in stoking those fires. I say that maybe overestimating the influence of this industry, but I say that because the way people feel about the economy will influence their economic decisions. And those yeah, decisions sure. can then cascade into the economy and it becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm not saying don't report negative data points. You absolutely should as a news source, but nor am I saying that you should shun expertise that analysts are, are providing, but I'd argue that just using that quote, fear of a looming recession on every financial story is, is a bit irresponsible. Am I off base there? I don't think so. I mean, Look, there there are two emotions that run uh, financial markets and the economy, uh, and and those emotions are greed and fear. And and when you're greedy, 
you go and you buy stuff and when you're afraid you you sell stuff um and i th i think that media does have a responsibility to be a little bit dispassionate and um unbiased in the reporting of of financial data so that everyday people can make proper economic decisions um and and you know the the folks who are listening to to the data can actually set sound economic policy um based on based on the news that's being heard um i, I find that and, and i don't i don't know if you find this but but certain people in media who are reporting on um the financial news aren't themselves invested in in the financial system and so you know it's a little bit like the it's a little bit like the sportscaster who doesn't watch or, or you know play the sport that they're that they're commenting on um but yeah i i, I definitely agree with you I, I think that there there needs to be some some responsibility there in terms of of what the media uh reports and and the way that they do it um i don't think stoking fear about a you know a recession is is the right strategy i think media has a responsibility to say hey here are the numbers. It's not as great as we thought that it would be. Um, here's how we weather the upcoming storm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I also think about offering people perspective really matters as well, right? There was there has been a slowdown in the rate by which houses are selling that hasn't mm -hmm. necessarily reflected in the prices. There there was a slight dip late in the year, but but it was more a question of volume. But it was reported as if as if uh, the prices were down twenty or twenty five percent rather than simply some of the objective numbers. And and that's one of the things that gets me too. Like sometimes when you're talking about uh, something like the real estate market, which was like red hot, red hot's maybe an understatement for two or three years, that <laughs> then even when it takes a slight slowdown, it's reported as like the clouds are falling. Right, right. Uh, you know, the whole chicken little thing, the sky is falling, um, you know, we're, we're doomed. Um, <laughs> I, I think that that the economy itself is is going through a, a you know, it's going through a period of change. And um, to our to what we've been talking about 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 media and and reporting on the economy, I think there's going to be a, you know, this this huge push for for crowdsourcing a lot of that that kind of data and and saying, you know, here was my experience with selling a house and and if you uh, aggregate that let's say a million times on on a platform like like Twitter or, you know, whatever the whatever the latest thing is. Um, that's really going to give us a, a a sound picture of of where the economy actually is uh, relative to um, sample data that that we're getting from uh, that we're getting from these media sources. Mm -hmm. Hey, Kevin, uh, we're never doomed when we get your perspective on these issues. Thank you for making time for us today. Thanks for having me. That's Kevin Shaw, a monthly columnist on this show and a regular contributor on Kelly and Ramya as well. The AMI family is a big one. Coming up next, Marco Pasqua and Elizabeth Moeller will explore the impact of Canada's plastic ban on people with disabilities. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. The gradual banning of single-use plastics is underway in Canada. A new law went into effect in late December. The federal government is starting by eliminating the manufacturing and importing of some plastic products. Think of things like plastic bags, cutlery, takeout containers, stir sticks, and straws. The sale of these items will still be allowed until December of 2023. Plastic bags for garbage, organic waste, and recycling will still be allowed. The banning of plastic items is a policy that could, and will, disproportionately impact people with disabilities. Let's dive into it with Marco Pasqua and Elizabeth Moeller. Hey, good morning, Marco. Good morning, Dave. And hello, Elizabeth. Good morning, Dave. So, Elizabeth, starting with you, there are some considerable disability concerns related to a plastic ban. But before we, you get into those, what's your reaction to the policy more broadly? Yeah, when I when I was reading this policy, I 
really was struck by the environmental injustice. So when we think about the term environmental justice, we look at how environmentalism disproportionately impacts certain groups and how certain groups experience the risks and benefits of environmentalism a little bit differently. And my reaction was that this policy was put in place and was constructed without consulting a number of different community groups and was done so from an environmentalism lens and not an environmental justice lens. So environmental justice sort of taking its core tenets from social justice and equity studies. And so I, I thought two things. The first is, who are we excluding and how are we excluding them? But the second thing I thought is, the policy itself, I don't think is addressing the bigger issues that we have with our climate. Plastics is certainly a big part, for sure, when we think about plastic rings, of environmental degradation and harm. But there's a lot more that goes into it. And so I think the policy is is narrow in scope and didn't consult a lot of community groups in its in its construction and its development. It's it's hard to add too much more to that, Elizabeth. I think you've identified a lot of the key issues that exist there. I, I do want to say here, though, outright and objectively, that plastic waste is a big problem, and it's one that is certainly worth addressing. But again, the concerns that sit around this policy do make it quite interesting and quite meaningful fodder. And before we jump into all of those, Marco, I wanna give you an opportunity to react to the policy at a, at a broader perspective. Yeah, thanks, Dave. I think that uh, for me, the whole reason why plastic was originally you know, used was to help with deforesting, right? So my question is, why is it plastic bags and straws that are considered the first, you know, um, uh, things to be on the chopping block, so to speak? Yes, you can still access these things, but you have to basically seem to know a secret code when you go into grocery stores to ask them, um, you know, they didn't want to completely phase it out. And as Elizabeth said, I think this could have been addressed in a much more meaningful and an impactful way by addressing and, and really consulting the disability community and doing it in much more of a phased approach. I mean, why is it that we still go to the grocery store and see a single cucumber wrapped in plastic while this plastic ban is going on? Or you, you'll go to get four tomatoes and they'll have it in a clamshell packaging, uh, which still utilizes plastic in some ways, right? So the fact that we're approaching this, and in the article that Elizabeth shared prior to this, it said that plastic straws sold in uh, with 20 or more will be allowed, but they won't be on retail shelves. So like I said at the beginning of my comments here, you actually have to be able to go to the back and ask for it like an illicit product, <laughs> which I think is a reduction on accessibility for those potentially with cognitive uh, disabilities or challenges or just general independence of people with disabilities to be able to go and find the products that they need for themselves mm. um, without having to ask for additional support. So I honestly think that there's a knock-on issue of, um, you know, reducing independence for people. And that was my gut reaction the second that I saw this. So, you know, I yes, I absolutely want to help the environment, but there was a much better way to do it. And there's much more wasteful things than the useful products that we're using, such as bags and straws. Mm. Uh if you had told me 15 years ago that I could walk into a store and buy weed legally and in a year I'm not going to be able to buy a, get a plastic bag legally, I would have told you, like, there's no chance. Like, there's no chance. Uh, okay, and Marco, that's exactly my point. <laughs> Marco, you identified some there, but I want to stay with you before I hand the baton back to Elizabeth. Some of the accessibility concerns that really strike you here, I know the straw tends to be one of the most galvanizing ones. Yeah, um, but let's talk about the financial impact here, right? Mm. So in that same article, um, you know, to make this change, the government an an analysis estimates that the program will actually see a net negative in the realm of $1.3 billion. So where is the rest of that money going to be coming from, right? It's going to be impacting on the consumer, which ultimately is then going to impact those with uh, persons with disabilities who are low income, right? So there's so many things and accessibility to food right now is such a real big issue. Accessibility to all of our resources is an issue right now as store shelves are seeing, uh, you know, that they're quite empty. And so how is this going to, uh, you know, impact myself, my friends with disabilities? I mean, I think that the larger impact is still left to be seen. But when you look at a program, like Elizabeth said, and you see that the net negative is going to be $1.3 billion, um, has this really been thought out? You know, that's my question. Yeah. <laughs> Elizabeth, going back to you here, accessibility concerns that strike you. Yeah. So, I mean, Marco's highlighted some of the cost issues. The other issue um, 
is this discourse around, well, you can use something else, a paper straw, a metal straw, if we're going to stick with straws, a wooden straw. But there are some serious safety concerns as well as financial concerns. The paper, I don't know if anyone's tried to use a paper straw, they just disintegrate. It's not the answer. Um, and you, yeah, not you the literally answer. are grasping at straws when you're using a oh, paper straw. Well done. <laughs> Throw in a pun there. But, you know, the metal straws, they don't bend in the same way. Uh, cleaning no. straws. And I also just want to move away from straws for a moment and talk about this other piece of wrapping things in plastic. So we know that that's harmful, but just an alternative thought that for some people, the prepackaged food, there's, there's this sort of you know, meme that's going around that it's very lazy and bourgeois to have an orange pre-peeled and packaged or vegetables cut up and packaged. But if we pause and think for a moment about people that may need that for accessibility, so folks who have cognitive mm. disabilities that make it more difficult to prepare food or individuals who aren't able to use a knife or lift a heavy pot. So I think the problem with environmentalism and even environmental justice is, is shaming, naming, and blaming. So you, Marco, or you, Elizabeth, or you, Dave, you're bad. You're using uh, one size, one-time container of oranges and you're throwing it away. But what we're missing there is that for some people that's a necessity. So we're actually, you know, in a movement that's trying to do help, we're doing harm by introducing ecoableism. So this mm. idea that these policies are excluding people, but they're also naming, shaming, and blaming and individualizing. So they're making uh, it an individual responsibility to be environmentally safe. So another example of ecoableism is removing um you know, wheelchair access on sidewalks and making more bike lanes, so making sidewalks more narrow. So I think there's a lot here to unpack around accessibility, and I hope to start seeing the term ecoableism used because I think it's really important in this discourse. And I think the other piece just around accessibility and is, is to think about that for some people, this is this is independence. So this is the difference mm. between them being able to access food or drink or medication on their own and then uh, having to ask for help if, yeah. if that accessibility is not provided so to me like to me that's that's a major driving force that I, I i've i've actually flip-flopped on this issue a couple times over the years because <laughs> of the vitriol surrounding it because some of the vitriol is so negative it's it's not yeah. productive i've found myself yeah. siding against people with disabilities for being just like too radical in their point of view on this. But mm. Elizabeth, when you identify, listen, this is about somebody feeding themselves independently. This is how they eat. You know, like, like who am I? Who am I to stand in the way and say, no, 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 you are wrong, right? So I, I, am, I am someone who has uh, had a little bit of a come to Jesus moment on this. And, and, mm -hmm. and, I'm, and I'm willing to admit that, right? I'm willing to admit that I've taken some strong positions on this in the past that were not all issue. the way correct, right? But that's yeah. because I am someone who also identifies as climate concerned, as an environmentalist, mm -hmm. as someone who also understands that the way this world works, that when a climate catastrophe invariably happens, it's people with disabilities who suffer. Now, mm -hmm. that's something that I want changed systematically as well, but I also know it's a reality. It's changed. It's not happening fast enough. So as we're talking about the thorniness here, Marco, any thoughts on how do you strike a balance between accessibility concerns? And in, my, in the way I've got this written here is a need to limit plastic waste, but we can broaden that out about overall environmental concerns. Yeah, well, I mean, look at renewable resources, right? Uh, for example, you've got hemp-based plastics, and hemp is making a huge recovery um, in the market right now. So you have corn and wheat husk things like forks and knives. So why can't we do the same thing with bags, right? Um, hemp is uh, very easy to reproduce over and over again. It's a natural resource. Um, you know, uh, then it comes down to obviously the larger manufacturers and ensuring their manufacturing process is actually still good for the environment as well. You know, I really don't like this finger pointing that happens to the single consumer that, as Elizabeth said, you're to blame, you're to blame. When at the end of the day, we're just the consumer that are buying the products that are actually readily available to us based on the manufacturers that make those things available. So there has to be some onus taken by the manufacturers who are creating these products that actually say, wait a minute, we're, we're the ones creating a bit of an impact here because what we put out in the market is what's being consumed. So the more that we start to push alternatives like hemp-based products um, that 
have the malleability of certain types of plastic in ways that say metal straws don't, I think we can find a happy medium there where everybody wins. And perhaps we're not even then going to be in a negative deficit because we can work on things like farming and agriculture to create these alternative resources that will ultimately help the market overall and persons with disabilities in this case. Elizabeth, uh, I want to give you the same opportunity to react to the question in regards to striking a balance between accessibility concerns and a need for overall environmentalist causes or just simply limiting plastic waste. Yeah, I think Marco positioned it very well. I think including all voices at the table in the construction of policy is really important. Looking at it systemically instead of the sort of downloading of responsibility to the individual. I also think, you know, a really big thing when we think about accessibility is, like Marco said, alternatives. So what alternatives are out there? And I think as, as well, the bigger environmental picture, right? So like, is using a plastic straw, and I don't know the answer, when we think about, you know, deforestation, and we think about all of the cars on our road and the carbon emissions, like in the in the grand scheme of things, where do we want to put our focus? Mm -hmm. You know, is it okay to have some plastic straws available for people who need them? Yeah, that's you guys are so good at this. It's almost like you should be on a national TV show talking about these issues on the hey, regular. Aren't we on a national TV show talking <laughs> yeah. about these issues? We sure are. We sure are. Are you just in your basement, Dave? What's <laughs> yeah, going yeah. on? It's it's all an elaborate ruse that I've been putting together for a long time. All right, guys, five minutes on the clock here. So we got to be a little bit quick yeah. as we pivot over to the notion of innovation. Marco, you mentioned the idea of using something like hemp making a comeback as an innovation, as an alternative. Once again, innovation in the accessibility space was on display at CES in Las Vegas. Marco, some of your takeaways from accessible tech at the trade show. Yeah, so personally, I wasn't there, but I have friends who were there who run a YouTube channel at, at, that's focused around persons with disabilities. And I love to hear that uh, CES had a major focus on that. In the, in the directory of vendors this year, they actually had a filter where you could filter out accessible vendors or accessible disability-based products right in the directory at CES. So you could jump through that, which is amazing. Uh, we've all heard things like smart robots coming up over the years, but there was a smart robot they're featured called the AO, A-E-O, um, that is voice activated. It actually has two arms. It can roll around and carry things. It utilizes two-way communication. So if you have any health-based concerns, um, you can tell that to the robot and it will actually connect you to emergency professionals. It can also wow. hand you those bags while disinfecting surfaces with the other hand at wow. the same time, wow. which I was just like, wow, wow. that is wow. crazy. Um, there was things like advanced screen readers for Braille displays that were actually on Ooh. display there, which was incredible. Um, but one of the coolest things I saw was a smart chessboard that will allow my friend who uses eye tracker software to um, make the moves in real time for a real physical board. And then using the internet, it will actually move those physical chess pieces for him using the eye tracker so that he could play with somebody around the globe on a physical chessboard where those pieces are actually moving. I was just like blown away by the fact that this is something that can happen he doesn't have to be able to use his own arms can play a physical chess game whether the person's in person in the same room with him or they're halfway around the world and the last one i wanted to mention was a really cool wheelchair that i saw being featured called the skivo bro it's a wheelchair that climbs stairs um which you know would be a benefit for me because uh, my wife always says i'm not a person with a disability until i'm presented with a set of stairs in my <laughs> case right so um you know if i could have a chair that also uh, you know, climb stairs for me. That would be amazing. And then, of course, SwitchBot uh, was out there again. And I have the SwitchBot curtains uh, in my nursery, as you know, Dave, for, for my daughter, Stella, um, which is voice activated. And it's a little robot that helps me open and close my curtains without me getting uh, in and out of my chair. And they were featuring some newer models. So I just love that innovators from around the globe are being encouraged to support people in the disability community to create products that are universally designed that can impact
impact all of us, whether we identify today with a disability or not. And it was just really exciting to see some of these reviews coming down the pipeline. Elizabeth, what's your perception? There was a really cool one that I wanted to very quickly mention. Um, your sure. own voice. I don't know if you saw that one, but basically this idea that you can record your voice. So maybe we're not even talking to Dave right now. Maybe it's a bot, <laughs> but you can record your voice and it, it puts a synthesized recording up in the cloud so that if you have a speech difference later on due to a degenerative disease, or perhaps you have just a short-term disease that's making your voice not usable, you can actually yeah. use this robotic copy of your voice to speak. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, there was also- that is in That's incredible. Yeah, go ahead, Dave. Oh, no, please, Marco, I insist, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, that's incredible. I heard that Bruce Willis was the first celebrity to sell his voice likeness to AI technology. So, you know, there is things like deep faking voices that would concern me, but from a healthcare perspective, that's absolutely yeah. incredible. Yeah, I'm excited. It's it's pretty remarkable. I, I shared a couple items after CES as well in terms of like makeup application, uh, robotic yeah, robotic backpacks. One. Yeah, like you know, it's like it's 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 little <laughs> things and it's big things. It, it's remarkable the way in which the gambit that it runs. Okay, we're officially uh, officially almost out of time here, but Marco. I want to give you the opportunity to uh, plug something you have coming down the pipeline as this conversation wraps up. Yes, thank you so much. So, Dave, on February 14th at 10 a.m. Pacific, uh, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, the organization that I co-founded, Like Ventures, uh, will be hosting our second annual ACT conference, that's Accessibility Conference of Technology. And the conference, we're utilizing it to promote uh, a more equitable world by increasing accessibility for people with disabilities. And our conference this year is a two-hour uh, virtual gathering featuring a panel on the intersection of virtual capital, uh, sorry, venture capital, uh, accessibility, and technology and we're actually going to be awarding our very first pick um, for an organization that's made a significant impact on accessibility so this is a two-hour event it's virtual it's free um, you can go to like.ventures uh, that's the website it's dot uh, ventures not dot com so like dot ventures um, and you can register to come to the uh, conference on the 14th and I'm really looking forward to hearing from some of our panelists in the VC world and how they look to make innovations around the disability community. There are two things in this world that are infinite that we'll never have enough of, space and time, and we are flat out of time for this segment. I wish we had more. Marco, have a great day. You as well, my friend. Elizabeth, thank you as well. Always great chatting with you. You as well, my friend. Bye, Marco. Bye, Dave. That's Marco Pasqua and Elizabeth Moeller coming up after the break. Ramya Emuthan will tell you what's coming up on Kelly and Ramya this afternoon. And we'll have a very quick roundtable conversation with Alex and Nazreen. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. This afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv, Kelly and Ramya hit the airwaves. Ramya Hamilton is the co-host of that show. Ramya, what's coming up on the show today? Well, we're having a really great finance conversation with Ryan Chin, certified financial planner, mm -hmm. and he's talking about the pros and cons of using credit cards. So good timing for that one. Yeah. <laughs> the pro is you get stuff real fast. The downside is you got to pay that bill. You got to deal with it month. in January. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rami, that sounds fantastic. 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-TV and AMI-audio. Stay right there, though, because let's bring in Alex Smythe and Nazreen Abdel-Majid for a quick roundtable chat. Alex, the Juno nominations caught your attention. Uh, yeah, so uh, the weekend is leading this year's Juno nominations. It was six nominations this year, which is a, a, a very high number, but even more remarkable is this would mark his 40th nomination at the Junos. And while there have been a few other artists over the years that have had more, none have done it in a, uh, in a shorter period of time, a decade to get 40 nominations. So I wanted to find out from everybody, you know, if the Junos are just focusing on nominating the same recognizable artists over and over, is it a sign that the Canadian music landscape is not as rich as we thought, or they're just trying to promote the recognizable artists so that people tune in. Nisreen, let's start with you. 
I think uh, I think you were right about that. I think they're trying to promote the recognizable artists out there just to kind of uh, lean people into watching the Juno Awards. And that's what I feel like is just repetitive. And that's why I don't watch it anymore. The, the caliber of Canadian music has reached a whole new level of top end, though, certainly in terms of its popularity, right? That whether it be on the rock side or whether it be on the pop and hip hop side, Canada has become a real driver of mainstream popular music. So it doesn't surprise me that the Junos reflect that. I'd argue that's actually part of their credibility. But Ramya, what do you make of the weekend uh, picking up so many nominations so quickly? What that says more largely about the Junos vis-a-vis -vis Canadian music? I think the Junos have to um, start taking a page out of Spotify's book, you know, like where you get the new music mixed in and blended in with the stuff that you already love, you already know is popular and out there um, because or else we we get too uh how do you say it? Like only the popular. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's just the weekend. It's just the top names. Don't we get bored of that? Cause we're hearing them on the radio. Then we're hearing them on the performance. Yes. Of course we're going to give them credit where credit is due and understand that these people have made it big. They are, like you said, driving the music, but nonetheless, we have to understand that there's so many incredible artists out there that we want to feature and use this platform to feature them. Yeah, I, I still think, though, at a certain point, popularity matters here. If you really want to be recognizing music for the sake of music, I suggest you check out the Polaris Music Prize, where they take True. where they take 40 albums on a long list and say, these are the most musically sound Canadian records of the year. Alex, you asked the question, and you get last word on it. Yeah, I, I think that there there is a bit of a lack of, um, you know, infusion of newer talent and, and recognition of uh, lesser known bands doing great things. I think part of this is people are less inclined to listen to the radio nowadays and they're using Spotify, they're using these other mediums where there's not the regulations to have as much CanCon on there as a percentage, whereas the radio stations in Canada do. So you're not exposed to as much uh, newer or lesser known Canadian artists. So you lean to go towards the music that you know and you enjoy. So The weekend, as you mentioned, Dave, is one of the most popular artists. So of course he's going to get the most airtime, the most plays, especially on these newer platforms that don't have the same level of recognition or, or, or regulations about how much Canadian content needs to be played. Alex, this is a great thought. I'm sorry we had to rush through it. Have yourself a great day. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Nazreen, all the best to you. Thank you for your thoughts. Thank you, you too. Ramya, I'll probably see you in the building because I'm here until at least 2 o'clock today. So okay. we'll talk to you in a couple hours. So he says. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> I, I oftentimes make that claim. That's all the time we have for the show today. We'll be back again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.